Hi, I'm Jacqueline Kinser, and for the past five years, I've been helping families all around the globe to overcome their breastfeeding challenges. And this is the first non-clinical breastfeeding podcast that shows you how to rock breastfeeding and master motherhood through practical tips, mindset shifts, and honest conversation to create a confident and empowering breastfeeding journey. This is the Breastfeeding Talk Podcast. Welcome to today's episode of the Breastfeeding Talk Podcast. I am so excited to share this with you because I have not done a podcast episode quite like this before. In fact, this is not even my own podcast episode. Now, before you go ahead and turn this off, bear with me, uh, but this is actually an interview that I did with the amazing Brittany of the Growing Our Family podcast, and she had me come on and do an episode on weaning for her audience. So I know a lot of you have asked for this episode. And honestly, it was just so good. Brittany's an excellent interviewer. And I thought, why would I reinvent the wheel and go ahead and, you know, just do a weaning podcast when I could just share the one that I already did. So she was gracious enough to let me share the recording of our interview with you guys here on the Breastfeeding Talk podcast. So in this episode, I really answer the different myths about weaning. There's sort of a right way and a wrong way to do it, when to do it, how to do it, all those good things. And we go in really super deep. In fact, this is a ton of stuff that I usually share in weaning consults that I do with my clients, but I'm giving it to you in this interview. So here we go. Hello and welcome back. We have Jacqueline here to talk all about weaning. How's it going, Jacqueline? It's going great, Brittany. And thank you for having me. Oh, thanks so much for coming on the show to talk about such an important topic. Yes, it's a very important topic, and I don't feel like it's talked about enough. Definitely not. So can we start by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got into lactation? Yeah, absolutely. So seven years ago, I was doing something entirely different. I was a stockbroker, and I loved that job, and I was doing really great at it. And then I had my son and I really experienced a lot of breastfeeding difficulties with him and found myself without the help and support that I needed. And I didn't have any friends who were already having children. So I basically spent a lot of time researching a lot of things on my own and seeking out as many support groups as I could. And the more I went down that path, the more I got really passionate about you know, other mothers not having to struggle like I did. And, you know, not everyone has the same resources that I had at that time. And so I just, before I knew it, started studying, taking classes to get certified to teach classes. And then I went full steam ahead and became a board certified lactation consultant. And I opened my practice, um, let's see, when he was three years old. So that's where I am today. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I love your story and how you got into it. I'm sure it's very rewarding. I can only imagine. It's incredibly rewarding. And there's definitely some days where I've gone home at the end of the day and I realized, you know, I may have just saved a baby's life today. And it's very, it's very emotional. I'm very grateful that I have the skills to do this work uh, and to support these mothers and babies and just families. But uh, it's definitely very intense at times as well. 
Oh, definitely. I have such a love for lactation consultants. They're the reason um, my son and I were able to start our breastfeeding journey. We had a lot of troubles in the beginning and we're going on 14 months and still going strong. So it it literally would never have happened without our lactation consultants. So you guys are amazing. You're incredible in what you do. And from the client side, I can tell you that it's you guys are just incredible. <laughs> I, I know I've said it a few times, but I just have so much respect for you and your profession. Oh, that's awesome to hear. And congrats on going so long in your breastfeeding journey. Oh, thank you. So now uh, let's talk a little bit about weaning. How do you know if it's time to wean? You know, that's a really, really good question. Um, And it's multifactorial. So uh, I'm going to kind of just start out from the perspective of what we as healthcare providers treating lactation, what we recommend. And we recommend following the World Health Organization guidelines, which are uh, that, you know, the child should breastfeed until age two and and beyond as long as it's mutually desirable. Now, there's other health organizations out there that recommend at least one year, uh, but biologically speaking for the human species, the normal age of weaning for humans is between ages two and seven. So if someone wants to ask me, when should I wean? Uh, you know, weaning earlier than two would be abnormal for our biology and our physiology. There are risks with that, and we do call that early weaning. Most people aren't aware of that. Now, that's not a judgment statement of any kind. That's just factual and based on what we know about our species. Um, And so then a lot of people go, well, you know, how do I know when my baby's ready to wean? Some mothers will choose letting their baby self-wean. Other mothers will drive the weaning process themselves. And there's various reasons for that. Sometimes it's a medical condition. I've supported many patients of mine who are dealing with cancer and you know they cannot breastfeed while they're going through chemotherapy or they need to have a breast surgery of some kind or you know it's just become too much. It's affecting uh, their health and their fertility or whatever, right? There's a lot of different reasons. So you may have a medical reason that you know it's time to wean. Beyond that, if you're happy to keep breastfeeding as long as you're, if you and your baby are happy doing it and you are able to sort of ignore some of the societal pressures out there, um, your child will ultimately stop nursing at some point on their own, whether or not you encourage them to do so. And often toddlers nurse really frequently. And if you don't know that, you might feel like something maybe is off or wrong or that they're not getting enough you know, nutrition from solid foods or things like that. But it's actually really common that up until the age of two and even a bit after that, they're still going to nurse several times a day unless you intervene and start that weaning process for yourself. Um, but a big question that a lot of moms have is, you know, usually about nighttime and that their child is still waking up to nurse a lot during that time. Um, and they may feel like, you know, if I could just, if I could just night wean and get some more sleep, you know, it's been a couple of years, I'm just really tired. You know, it's okay to listen to your body. It's okay to say, I need to, you know, really cut down on this. And the true definition of weaning doesn't mean ceasing nursing. Weaning actually means doing anything other than breastfeeding. So technically, when your baby started having solid foods, that was actually the beginning of the weaning process. And a lot of people don't know that that's the real definition. Um, But weaning a baby under a year old, um, they're going to need some sort of 
milk replacement. They cannot just, you know, exist on solid foods. They're going to need formula or donated breast milk or something like that. Um, you cannot just, you know, stop feeding uh, a baby under one year old any sort of, you know, nutritional milk product and cow's milk wouldn't be appropriate at that age. Oh, good to know. And are there tips for weaning a baby under a year versus a baby over a year old? Yes, there are, um, because it's really not recommended to wean a baby under a year old. That would really be, um, I mean, if it was a strong maternal choice for whatever reason or, you know, a medical reason or, or something like that, hopefully it can be avoided. Um, but formula supplementation has to be introduced the moment that that weaning begins. So, uh, and then depending on the age of the baby, if they're, if they're under six months and they're not having solid foods, it's obviously going to be, um, keeping a close eye on the weight gain with solid foods and, and formula and breast milk mixed, you know, if they're over six months, um, you know, sometimes increasing solid food quantity is great, but they're still going to need formula to get you know, the complete nutrition package and all of that as well. So you want to keep a great, really sharp eye on not only just diaper output, but weight gain in particular, and definitely follow up with either a lactation consultant or a pediatrician through those several weeks that it's going to take you to wean. Oh, good to know. And um, is there a difference in daytime versus nighttime weaning approaches? I, I know you mentioned a little bit about how parents kind of want to wean the nighttime first so they do get more sleep. Yeah, you know, it, it depends. And again, it's going to be dependent on the age of the child. So generally, I'll say most people are doing that past a year old. Um, some some children will find that they're not nursing during the day because the their mother is back at work. So they're not nursing them. Usually after a year old, a lot of moms will start to wean off of pumping during the day at work. So they're not really breastfeeding during the day. It may be that they only breastfeed at night, or it could go the opposite direction where they're breastfeeding only during the day and they're wanting to do the night weaning process with their child. Um, and that's, you know, a very individual decision usually made by the family as a whole. Um, some children do really well with it, but anytime you're doing weaning, unless it's because of a medical thing, like again, chemotherapy or a, a breast surgery or something that would immediately, like you need to cease breastfeeding, you do not want to go through the weaning process rapidly. There are a lot of risks to that, not just mastitis and clogged ducts and those sorts of things, um, but also a very dramatic shift in your hormones that can affect your mood. Uh, amongst other things as a mom. Um, but then also it's really difficult for your child, especially one who's really young and doesn't have language skills yet and is, you know, developing emotionally. They had you, you know, they had that ability to nurse all that time for all of this comfort and all of a sudden cold turkey, you cut it out. It's really hard for them to come to terms with that. So we always recommend taking a slow, gentle approach when that's appropriate. And do you have suggestions for different approaches that moms could take in, in the weaning process? Yeah, absolutely. One of the first things I always recommend is that instead of trying to cut out nursing sessions, just, you know, reducing the number of nursing sessions right away, what I usually suggest is actually just reducing the time that you're allowing your child to nurse. So again, it's about being gradual and it's about being gentle about it. So you're not outright denying the nursing, but you're just cutting down on that time. 
it's the same advice I would give to a mother who's wanting to wean off of pumping. You wouldn't just cut out a pumping session. You would go from pumping for 15 minutes to 10. You'd stay there for a few days, you know, check in with your body, see how you're feeling, and then eventually you reduce it to five minutes, and then eventually you'd cut it out altogether. It's going to work similarly with nursing sessions as well. And some tricks that I try to offer my clients and some tips are things like you could set a timer, you could sing a song, you could play a song, you could read a book. And then whenever that activity is done, that's when the nursing stops. But the most important key is even if you don't think, you know, your child isn't speaking yet, or it, it might seem like they don't understand, you need to have an open line of communication with them outside of these actual nursing or weaning times. So meaning during the day when your child's calm in an active state, just have a quick conversation and say, you know, we're going to start having less milkies or booby or whatever word it is, nurses, whatever word you use. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're just not going to be able to do that for, for as long anymore. And you're just consistent and you just say the same message over and over again. You don't need to over, but preparing your child when they're not nursing, when they're not going to get emotional about it and just very matter of fact, stating what's going to happen so they know what to expect is going to ease that transition. Oh, yeah. And I think a lot of times our kids understand more than what we think they do. You know, my son's 14 months old. And there's a lot of times that I'll like ask him a question and he'll start to not obviously verbally respond, but like we'll start like going to the actions like, do you want to go to the car or are you hungry? Do you want some milk? And he just like instantly like drops what he's doing and walks over to me like they understand, I think, more than what we think they do, even though they're not communicating with us. They really do. And also trying to give your child a choice in this as well is very, very powerful. And this just comes from a respectful and conscious parenting approach. Uh, but really offering them a choice like, okay, well, Milky is all done now. Would you like to have your, you know, your lovey or your stuffy? Or would you like to have, you know, a cup of water or like just letting them choose an alternative once that activity is done. You know, do you want me to read you another story or do you want me to snuggle with you? Like, and just giving them, you know, two choices to do instead of nursing where now they feel empowered because the one thing you don't want them to feel like the rug just got pulled out from underneath them. That's going to really shake their trust in you. It could um, disrupt the bond with you when you just take it away and you don't offer other means of comforting them. And the other thing there too is to really acknowledge your child's feelings. They may cry. They may get angry. They may hit you. They may react in a very unexpected way or, or maybe it is expected because you know your child so well. And it's important that you don't get frustrated back at them, that you don't take their emotions personally, that you are there to support them, let them feel heard and say, I know you feel sad that you can't nurse anymore right now, but I can hold you or I'm here when you're ready or whatever it is because they really need to, you know, this is a big time, big developmental leap for them really, right? And if you're upset with them for being upset, now we're kind of adding and piling on to this weaning thing, not being a positive thing. What we want weaning to be, no matter how it has to be done, if it needs to be done rapidly or if we can take our time, we want it to be a time where we really build up resiliency in our children, get them to a whole new level of emotional growth because weaning is a milestone. 
weaning means they're moving on to sort of the next stage of their childhood. And it should be something that you look back on and feel really good about, not feeling guilt or anxiety or wishing you had done things differently. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. Because I know a lot of moms are very, they have a lot of mixed emotions about it, you know, like their kids are moving on, and they're getting older, which is both a happy thing and can sometimes be a little bit of a sad thing, because they're no longer like your little baby that, um, you know, you remember holding and nursing from the day they came home from the hospital. Absolutely. And also, you know, it's important to give yourself grace to, you know, you may be more sleep deprived than normal to just give yourself grace to go through this time and, you know, let go of some of the other stresses that you may have going on in your life as much as you can. And also just because you said this week you're going to wean and it's not going well, or you're feeling just very sad about it, you can always change your mind. You can always go back and say, well, you know what? I'm not ready and my child isn't ready either. And so we're going to continue to nurse for now. And I've supported many friends and clients of mine through that. And it's okay. You know, ultimately, and again, unless there's some sort of medical problem going on, you know, breastfeeding is something that's decided between you and your baby. And I know other people will have opinions about it. But you do need to listen to your gut. And if it's feeling just super, super painful and you're not feeling ready and your child isn't feeling ready, then it's okay to just take a step back and say, you know what, we'll try again in three months or whatever it is. That would be fine too. Oh, definitely. And are there tips to make weaning more comfortable for mom? We've kind of talked about how to like prepare your child for it, but um, how can you make the process the most comfortable for um, a, a mom? That's a great question. You know, as long as you are doing it gradually where you're not just suddenly cutting out nursing or pumping sessions and you are just reducing the time and you reduce it by a few minutes and you stay there for, you know, a few days at a time, then you really shouldn't experience any discomfort. There'd be no reason for that. It's only when moms are doing things like, you know, I've had moms tell me they're going to take their older child on vacation and they're gone. And yeah, you're going to experience engorgement and a lot of pain and it's very uncomfortable. If you're going to physically separate from your child during weaning, which I wouldn't recommend, but if you do, you want to make sure you are having some way to express breast milk to relieve the pressure. You cannot just, you know, not express any milk. You're going to risk mastitis and plug ducts and a lot of discomfort and pain for yourself. And the other thing that I want to really let your listeners know is the number one thing you should never do is to bind your breasts. There are still blogs and information out there on the internet that suggests doing this. That is one of the worst things that you could do for that lymphatic tissue in your mammary glands, and you can actually cause quite a bit of damage. So please don't ever wear super tight sports bras, bind your breasts, anything like that. If anything, we actually want to encourage free movement of the tissue, gentle breast massage, uh, things of that nature. You may apply, you know, cold cabbage leaves or cool packs to the breast. Um, but I don't encourage doing ice or things like that because as your breasts go through this process of, you know, slowing down milk production and they go through a process called involution where essentially the mammary glands, um, those cells just start to dissipate and the fat in your breast rearranges there's stem cells at play and different inflammatory factors. And when you ice, you actually shut down 
the healing of that tissue that happens. And so, you know, I really wouldn't apply any sort of cold or ice beyond the first like 24 hours of discomfort. You're more than welcome to take uh, anti-inflammatory, you know, herbs or medications recommended by your uh, physician or healthcare provider, but you definitely don't want to do anything that's creating more pain. Just, you know, you do want to keep some milk flowing uh, until you're actually comfortable not expressing milk at all. Oh, definitely. That's great to know. And I, I've heard the wrapping thing. I've never obviously tried it, but I had no idea that it's so dangerous and, and bad for your body. Yeah, it's yeah. And and again, your body is, is trying to send, you know, some anti-inflammatory uh, things there, you know, maybe some antibodies, things of that of that nature. And if those pathways are cut off, you don't have good lymphatic drainage and flow you can get toxin buildup, you can really get yourself a terrible case of mastitis. And that is the last thing we want for you to end your nursing journey with. Um, But at any point in time, we just really don't want that to happen at all. So it is important to just, you know, gentle expression, gentle massage. If you're doing something to your breasts, you know, no firm massage, things like that. But if you're doing something to your breast that hurts, that's a sign that you shouldn't be doing it. And binding generally doesn't feel very good. You may find you want to wear a supportive bra during this time, but definitely nothing that's going to be constricting and cutting off like blood flow and lymphatic flow to the tissue. Oh, definitely. And so when you're going through the weaning process and you mentioned like starting to limit your time breastfeeding, like from 15 to 10 to five minutes and then cutting it out altogether, how do you decide which sessions to cut out first? That is a super, super great question. Um, It's always easiest to eliminate the ones where your child could be doing another activity. So daytime ones are usually easiest first if you're looking at like total weaning where you maybe can take them out somewhere, get them to play, give them a snack, something else. Um, Nighttime tends to be harder. It's going to be a lot of snuggles, cuddles, rocking, you know, more hands-on approach uh, during the nighttime. Uh, but I will say the last sessions to elim- me, eliminate are uh, the ones to help your child fall asleep and when your child wakes up. In fact, the nursing session when your child wakes up tends to be one of the very last ones to go because they're really not in their conscious brain when they first wake up. They're very much just habit-based and that it has been a habit for them for so long and it's a comfort. Um, and so they they tend to either make it uh, the nursing session when they wake up or the one when they fall asleep to be the last sessions to be eliminated. It's usually easier to cut out nursing your child to sleep because you can comfort them in other ways. But when they wake up and they're not, they don't have that nursing there available to them, it can be really, really cranky right off the bat. And it can be very hard to calm them down and comfort them during that time. So it's usually the last one to go. And do you just still follow the same method of just slowly shortening the amount of time that they nurse for when they wake up to eventually it's only like one or two minutes and then you kind of cut it out altogether. Yes, absolutely. And it's all about just being calm. You know, your child will follow your lead. So if you just calmly say, okay, I understand you want to nurse. I will let you nurse for two minutes. I'll set this timer. When it goes off, we're all done with nursing. And you just set that boundary and you always abide by that and you don't waver in that. When you don't waver in that, then your child understands that they need to respect your body and your wishes, and you're actually teaching them a really valuable lesson there. 
I know you touched a little bit earlier on how weaning can cause kids to just be a little bit upset about it. Are there other behavior issues that are common when you're going through this process? So that's a really great question. I I will say I probably tend to tend to set people up for like, you know, worst case scenario, just so that when it isn't that way, they're pleasantly surprised. Many kids do great with the weaning process. They might think it's no big deal at all. In fact, they might start dropping the nursing sessions altogether. Uh, It just sort of depends, you know, it depends on what the nursing patterns have been like. And, you know, I do a lot of weaning consultations with my clients, even ones that haven't been clients with me previously, just because they're really not sure. You know, they feel like, well, I co-sleep with my child and we're very attached. So weaning might be really hard. And and generally, you know your child best, you know, it might be difficult and it can be great to have guidance and, you know, someone to contact for continued support. But you may very well go through this and think, oh, my child's going to be upset or whatever. And they might not care at all. They might just go on a nursing strike at that point and be done altogether and be very happy to have a little teddy bear blanket instead of nursing. So it it really depends. And sometimes our children surprise us. Um, but it is very, very common for children to be sad. It's very common for them to feel angry. It's very common for them also to act out in other ways that don't seem related. So as I was saying, many children, you know, can have a range of emotions. And again, it's important just to not take that personally. I do know that can be really hard as a breastfeeding mom, especially if you're feeling some hormone shifts and things, but just know that this is a normal part of them growing up. And, you know, even if you weren't encouraging this weaning process yourself, they very, you very well may feel some bittersweet feelings or mixed emotions going through this. Oh, definitely. And I know something that isn't really talked about a lot is post-weaning depression. And can you explain a little bit of what that is and what the signs are from that? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I think that happens when weaning is done too early or too rapidly. So again, Just if you can follow the guidelines I mentioned at the beginning of our interview, you'll do a lot to just avoid that. Um, But if you are feeling that, what I would say is if you've done a gentle gradual weaning weaning process, your hormones shouldn't be affecting you in that way necessarily. There could be a lot of other factors. You know, uh, you want to make sure you're taking really great care of your nutrition. Your nutrition has a lot to do with how your neurotransmitters function, with your hormones, all of the signaling that happens there. Um, So you want to make sure you're taking care of that. Obviously, sleep is really important, but that might be disrupted during this time. But if you're really feeling like you're struggling and you're feeling like you're experiencing some depression, I would really encourage you, reach out to your healthcare provider. Maybe it's an IBCLC. We can screen for depression and refer you. Maybe you go straight to a therapist. Maybe it's a primary care provider and you go the route of medication temporarily or long-term, but definitely don't ignore those signs if you're feeling like something is really wrong and it may have nothing to do with weaning at all. Sometimes I find breastfeeding actually takes the brunt of the blame, but perhaps the reason you wanted to wean to begin with had to do with some things and they're becoming more apparent for you as you go through the process or finish it up. And again, just it's a good idea to talk to a healthcare provider about this. Get it checked out. Don't ignore it. Don't just think you can power through. It's okay to reach out and ask for support. Oh, awesome. That's some great advice. And 
Uh, I like to end my episodes with a product recommendation for pregnant or new mamas. Is there anything that you found helpful either during your own experiences with pregnancy and parenting or something that you would recommend to some of your clients that you find helpful? You know, that's a really good question. Everybody might have some different needs when it comes to breastfeeding. Uh, But one thing I really do recommend that is great is some sort of a baby carrier. And the reason why I recommend this, I already know I can hear the the chatter in the background of people listening going, my baby hates the carrier. Well, (laughs) it does take some time for your baby to get used to it. And you may need to try some different ones. But for just a couple of reasons. One, obviously, you can become hands-free as a mom and be able to do things while holding your baby. You can uh, usually get them to sleep a little better. You're a little more mobile, things of that nature. But it's also really, really great for their development. It's a great way if you don't have a lot of time to do tummy time, uh, which is really, really excellent for successful breastfeeding. Um, but it's also great for you to not be sitting on the couch all the time. I think we really underestimate how much movement we need to be getting. And that includes not just ourselves, but our babies. So your baby in the womb is moving around all the time. When they come out, they're not actually expecting to be sitting down in a recliner with a nursing pillow and being completely still to nurse. And so often my clients are surprised when I have them just stand up rock or bounce a little bit and their babies latch beautifully and they're so much better. And you can actually start to learn to do that in a baby carrier. So I know they can be a little bit pricey, but it's a great thing to add to your registry. Um, I always recommend the ones where the legs are at like a 90 degree angle. They're not just hanging straight down that can contribute to hip dysplasia, but there's slings, there's backpack style carriers There's all different types out there on the market. So definitely do your research and invest in something that keeps their hips at like a 90 degree angle. And you can thank me later when your baby loves it and you have your hands back. Oh, definitely. That's great for everything, travel or just being around the house and getting some chores done or anything like that. I We love our carriers. We have a few different ones and it totally depends on our situation, which one we prefer. But yeah, that's a, yes. that's a great yeah, recommendation. You might find you by several of them like I did. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so to kind of wrap up the episode, um, where can listeners find you if they want to get in contact? Do you do phone consultations for breastfeeding mamas or uh, do you stick to kind of local Absolutely. That's a great question. So right now in my practice, I'm only doing video consultations. I can do phone consultations. They're just not eligible for insurance reimbursement. Um, But I do video and that's a couple of reasons I was involved in a a physical accident. So me uh, working physically hands-on with people is just not an option for me right at this moment. But normally I do home visits in the Phoenix area. Um, I have a series of online classes that are available on my website at holisticlactation.com. And I put out a lot of information on my own podcast called Breastfeeding Talk. And then I'm really active on Instagram at at Holistic Lactation. And I've got tons of great posts on there. I'm on there every day. I've got some great IGTV videos on all sorts of things dealing with breastfeeding. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. And I'll link to all of those things in the show notes for anyone that wants to find Jacqueline on her social medias or podcast or website or anything like that. So I'll, I'll make sure they're all listed there for you guys to find her very easily. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Brittany. It's been so awesome to share about this topic and help people with this information on their weaning journey. Oh, definitely. Thanks so much for coming on and, and sharing all of this amazing information with all of us. So. Did you know most moms stop breastfeeding in the first month postpartum? I believe succeeding at breastfeeding means having the right mindset. In fact, studies show that the number one factor that determines breastfeeding success is commitment, which is why I've created my incredible audio download of breastfeeding affirmations, where I give you actionable mantras so you can breastfeed your baby with confidence and peace of mind. And best of all, it's free. To get access to this audio and PDF, simply visit holisticlactation.com slash mantras, and you can get started right now.